Parshas Vayeshev. First, the story of Yosef being sold. Yaakov settled in the area where his father had lived in the land of Canaan. This is Hebron, one of the four holy cities in Eretz Israel. Hebron is about 20 miles, 25 miles south of Yerushalayim. So these are the chronicles of Yaakov, meaning the story of Yaakov's children. Yosef was 17 years old. As a young man, he would tend the sheep with his brothers, the sons of Billah and Zilpah. Remember, Dan and Naphtali were the sons of Billah, and Gad and Asher were the sons of Zilpah. Billah and Zilpah were two of his father's wives. Yosef brought his father a bad report about them, meaning he told Yaakov criticism about these brothers. Now, Yisrael, which is the new name for Yaakov that he was given in last week's parsha when he struggled with the angel. He loved Yosef more than any of his other sons. Yosef was the favorite child since Yosef was the child of Yaakov's old age. Yaakov made Yosef a long colorful coat. In the phrase ketonis pasim, it was a royal garment. The word pasim can be translated as colorful, striped, or with pictures. It can also denote a long garment coming down to the palms of the hands and the feet. Alternatively, the word denotes um, the material out of which the coat was made, which was fine wool, according to Rashi, or silk. Hence, katanas pasim can be translated as a full-sleeved robe, a coat of many colors, a coat reaching to his feet, an ornamented tunic, a silk robe, or a fine woolen cloak. When Yosef's brothers realized that their father loved Yosef more than all the rest of the brothers, those brothers began to hate Yosef, and they could not say a peaceful word to Yosef. Then Yosef had a dream, and when he told that dream to his brothers, they hated Yosef even more. Listen to the dream I had, he said to them. So Yosef explained it. He said, we were binding sheaves in the field. When my sheaf, meaning my group of wheat, suddenly stood up straight up, your sheaves, of all the other brothers, formed a circle around my sheaf, and they bowed to mine. So the brothers answered Yosef, and they said, Do you want to be the king over us? Do you intend to rule over us? So because of Yosef's dreams and his words, the brothers hated him even more. Yosef had another dream, and he told the dream to his brothers. I just had another dream, he said. The sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bearing down to me. So when Yosef told this to his father, and his brothers, his father Yaakov scolded him. Yaakov was scolding and criticizing Yosef. He said, what kind of a dream did you have? Do you want me, your mother, and your brothers to come and bow down on the ground to you? Yosef's brothers became very jealous of him. But Yosef's father Yaakov suspended judgment. It could mean that he pondered the matter, or he kept the matter in mind, or his father waited to see the result. Literally, it means... Shamar es Hadavar, his father watched the word. Yosef's brothers left to tend their father's sheep in Shechem. Now Shechem is almost 50 miles north of Hebron. And that's where Yosef's brothers went from Hebron, 50 miles north, to Shechem to tend to Yaakov's sheep. So Yisrael, that's the other name for Yaakov, Yisrael said to Yosef, I believe your brothers are keeping the sheep in Shechem. I would like you to go to them. So Yosef answered his father, I'm ready. So Yisrael said back to Yosef, Then see how your brothers and the sheep are doing, and bring me a report. So Yisrael sent Yosef from the valley of Hebron, and Yosef arrived in Shechem. A stranger who was a traveler, or some say this was the Malach, Gabriel, found Yosef blundering about in the fields, 
Yosef didn't know where he's going. What are you looking for? The stranger asked Yosef. Oh, Yosef said, I'm looking for my brother. Perhaps you can tell me where they are tending the sheep. So the man said to Yosef, they already left this area. I heard them planning to go to Dotan. Now, Tel Dotna is the location that we know as from the Chumash is called Dotan. And that's 15 miles north of Shechem. Later on in history, it became part of the territory of Yosef. Actually, specifically of Manasseh, who was the son of Yosef. That we see in Malachim Beis. Yosef went after his brothers and he found them in Dotan. So the brothers saw Yosef in the distance. Before Yosef reached the brothers, the brothers were plotting to kill Yosef. Here comes the dreamer, the brothers said to one another. According to Chazal, the main plotters were Shimon and Levi. And this is the reason that amongst the older brothers, only Reuven and Yehuda spoke up to spare Yosef. According to other sources, Shimon, Dan, and God were the main plotters. So they said, now we have the chance. The brothers said, let's kill Yosef and throw him into one of the wells. We can say that a wild beast ate him up. And then let's see what will become of his dreams. In other words, they hated Yosef, who was having dreams that he's going to be in charge of them. So they wanted to get rid of Yosef. Reuven heard these words and he tried to rescue Yosef. Reuven said, let's not kill Yosef. Reuven tried to reason with his brothers. Reuven said, don't commit bloodshed. You can throw Yosef into this well in the desert and you won't have to lay a hand on him. Now, the well had been dug, but it had become dry, so there's no water in it. Alternatively, it was a pit or a cistern, so they wouldn't be killing him by throwing him into the pit. And that's how Reuven wanted to rescue him, because his plan was to save Yosef from his brothers and bring him back to his father. When Yosef came to his brothers, the brothers stripped Yosef of the long, colorful coat that he was wearing. The brothers took Yosef and threw him into the well. The well was empty. There was no water in it. Now, some say that which brother threw Yosef into the pit? It was Shimon. And that's why Shimon was later singled out for special punishment by Yosef. When the brothers come and Yosef sends them back from Mitzrayim to Canaan to get Benjamin, Yosef says that one brother should stay behind. That's Shimon. But according to others, it was actually Reuven who gently lowered Yosef. The brothers sat down and ate a meal. When they looked up, they saw an Arab caravan coming from Gilad. Now, literally, this was a group of Yishma'elim, and it was coming from Gilad, which was to the northeast of Eretz Israel. This is on the trade route from Mesopotamia to Egypt. So somebody coming from Bavel to Egypt would go through Gilad, and then Eretz Israel, and then Egypt. This route passed through Dotan, and it was famous for its spices. Now, the camels of this Arab caravan, this traveling group, of Yishma'elim had the camels were carrying gum, balsam, and resin and transporting them to Egypt. Now, gum is nechot. The Targum says this is shaf, which is a kind of wax or gum. It's usually identified as tragasan, the aromatic sap of a species of astragal, which is a short prickly shrub of the family Papillanaceae. But others say that it comes from the member of the carob family. Rashi says that nechot is a generic word for spices. So that's the first one, gum or nechot. The second, balsam, that's tseri or tsori. Now balsam is a gum extracted from the sap of the tree, kamaphora abasamum. And it's used to make incense and perfume. In Gilad, where this group of traveling Yishmaelim came from, was a famed source of balsam. That was the second item, balsam, tseri or tsori. So after that, after nechot and tseri, you have 
the third item, lote, which is resin. Now, it's usually identified as labdanum, which is a soft, dark resin, meaning a sticky substance, which is derived from various bushes, as rock roses. It's used for making perfume. The Midrash defines it as mastic, the resin of the mastic tree, which is a member of the pistachio family. The Targum says that it's litum, which is a species mentioned in the Mishnah, and it's identified as a chestnut, or a pine extract. Rashi says that it, this is aristolosi, the birthwort. So that's the third item, lot, or resin. So you have nechot, seri, and lot. And that's what the group of Yishma'elim was carrying spices to Egypt. Now Yehuda said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell Yosef to the Arabs and not harm him with our own hand. After all, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. He's our family. So the brothers agreed with Yehuda. The strangers, who turned out to be Midianite traders, approached. And the brothers pulled Yosef out of the well. Now, the Midianite traders, previously we had mentioned that they were Arabs. But when they approached, they were recognizable to be actually Midianites. So therefore we see that Midianites are called Arabs, or Yishmaelim. Now why is that? Midian was the brother of Yishmael. He was not a descendant of Yishmael. So why is it appropriate to call Midianites Yishmaelim? It might be because Yishmael was identified with all of his brothers. Others say that the Yishmaelites and the Midianites were two different. That's a different opinion. Now we said that the brothers took Yosef out of the pit, but there's also a tradition to know about that the brothers bought shoes with the money that they got for Yosef. Now some say that the brothers sold Yosef to the Ishmaelites, and the Ishmaelites sold Yosef to the Midianites. And that's the opinion that Rashi followed. But according to others, it was actually the Midianites who took Yosef from the pit. And on which day was Yosef sold? There is a tradition that Yosef was sold on the day of Yom Kippur. They sold him to the Arabs for 20 pieces. Of These Midianite Arabs were to bring Yosef to Egypt. When Ruvain returned to the well, Yosef was no longer there. Oh, Ruvain tore his clothes in grief. He was so sad. Reuven returned to his brothers. The boy is gone, Reuven exclaimed. And I, oh, where can I go? This is Reuven who's distraught. He wanted to save Yosef, but by the time he returned to the pit, Yosef had already been taken out and sold by the other brothers, as Yehuda suggested. The brothers took Yosef's coat. They slaughtered a goat and dipped the coat in the blood. They sent The brothers sent the long, colorful coat, and it was brought to their father, Yaakov. We found this, explained the brothers when they returned. Try to identify it. This is what the brothers said to Yaakov, their father. Is it your son's coat or not? Yaakov immediately recognized it. It is my son's coat, he cried. <laughs> a wild beast must have eaten him up. Oh, my Yosef has been torn to pieces. Oh. He tore his robes in grief. Yaakov was ripping his clothes because he was just so sad in mourning. And he put on sackcloth, which was very uncomfortable. It's what somebody wears when they're very sad and mourning. Because he lost his wonderful son, his favorite, Yosef. Yaakov kept himself in mourning for many days. Ugh. All his sons and daughters tried to console Yaakov, but he refused to be comforted. Now, we know that Yaakov had at least one daughter, Dina, but... Here it mentions his sons and daughters tried to console him. So this is the first time that Yaakov's daughters, plural, are mentioned. It may be that they were born previously and they were not mentioned before. Or it actually might be a reference to the daughters-in-law 
of Yaakov. And calling them his daughters is just an expression, but it will reference to his son's wives. Oh, Yaakov says, I will go down to the grave mourning for my son, meaning he's going to spend the whole rest of his life until he dies, being sad that Yosef is lost. That's what Yaakov said. Yaakov wept for his son, Yosef, as only a father could. Literally, it means that his father wept for him. So some translate, and this is how his father wept for him. But according to others, it was actually Yitzchak who was weeping, crying for Yaakov. Now, based on the chronology and the timeline of the Torah, Yitzchak did actually not die until Yosef was 29 years old, which is 12 years after sold, because Yosef was sold at age 17. Yitzchak died at the age 180 when Yosef was 29, so it was 12 years, the 12 final years of Yitzchak's life that he knew that Yosef was taken and he was crying for his son Yaakov. The fact that his grandson, Yosef, Yaakov's son, was taken away. Now, the Midianites sold Yosef in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Paro's officers, and Potiphar was the captain of the guard. Actually, we should distinguish between the Midianites and the Midianites. They were really separate tribes. So some say that the Midianites sold Yosef to the Midianites, but others state that the Midianites are the same group as the Midianites. That's what we see from the Targum. Also, from the context, it does seem obvious that the Midianites are the same as the Arabs or the Ishmaelim, and that seems to be reflected by the Ramban. Now, Potiphar, which is the person in Egypt who bought Yosef, his name is Potiphar, which is an Egyptian name. Padiupar, meaning given of the house. Now, in ancient Egyptian, that name means that he was the steward. He was in charge of keeping order in the house. Par is ancient Egyptian for house, as in Paro. Paro is a generic name for Egyptian kings. It comes from the Egyptian par, o, great house. Par, house, o is great. The word, the name Potiphar can also be related to the name found in ancient inscriptions, which is padiu apra. Sounds like Potiphar. Literally, padiu apra means one whom Ra has given, where Ra is the Egyptian god of the sun, because the, Egyptian wor- the Egyptians worshipped a bunch of different idols, different gods. So this is actually the meaning of poti fera, padiu apra, one whom Ra has given. Now, he was the captain of the guard, or literally he was the saris paro, he was the saris of paro, and sar hatabachi, which means that the royal prison was therefore in the house of Potiphar. Some say that Potiphar was the chief executioner. That's what it means, sar hatabachi. That opinion is reflected in the Targum. But others say that he was the chief butcher. That we see in Rashi. Or he could be the chief cook like a tabach is a chef or a cook. He was the third most powerful man in the kingdom. Some say that he was the priest of Elev. Others identify Potiphar with Potiphera. Now we have the story of Yehuda and Tamar. Around this time, Yehuda left his brothers. Yehuda became friends with a man of Adulam by the name of Hira. Others say that he camped around until he came to a certain man of Adulam, whose name was Hira. Now, where is Adulam? That's 41 miles south of Shechem. 11 miles northwest of Hebron. It's identified with Tel Sheikh Machduch. Now, Hira, the name of this man that Yehuda became associated in Adulam, he was the foreman of Yehuda's shepherd. Now, from the expression that his name was Hira, so we see that he was a righteous person. There's a tradition that whenever the expression his name was precedes the actual name, so the person in question was righteous. That we see from the Major Shrabah. There, Yehuda met the daughter of a merchant named Shua. Yehuda married her and lived with her. 
Now, what was the name of this daughter? <laughs> we just know the name of Yehuda's father-in-law, which was Shua. But what was the daughter's name that Yehuda married? So some say that her name was Aliat, but others say her name is Bat Shua, <laughs> which just indicates that she's the daughter of this man Shua. Now we said Shua was a merchant, but literally it says that he was a Kanani. The word Kanani, however, is used to denote a merchant in many places. It can come from the word Kana, which means to drive down and hence denote a bargainer or a haggler, like Kniya means to subjugate. That's Kaf Nun Ain. So Knani not only is someone who comes from the land of Canaan, but it's a phrase to a merchant, someone who drives down a bargain. In Eretz Israel, which we know used to be called the land of Canaan, or the trade land, because it was on the trade route from Mesopotamia to Egypt. So when we think of the word Kanani, the primary meaning could be that it's a merchant, and the secondary meaning could mean that Eretz Canaan, the land which was on the trade route, and therefore occupied the path of merchants. Others, though, say that Shua was actually a Canaanite. He was really from the nation of Canaan. Remember, Canaan, who was a descendant from Ham ben Noach. Now, the name of Yehuda's father-in-law was Shua. Actually, Shua is a nation in Bavel, and if he wasn't a Canaanite. So this may have been his place of origin in Bavel. The expression that his name was Shua would indicate that he was a righteous man. Some say that he was king of Adulam. So Yehuda's wife became expecting and she had a baby son. So Yehuda named the child heir. She became expecting again and she had another son. This was Yehuda's second child. She named him Onan. She gave birth once again to a son and she named him Shelah. So interesting that Yehuda seems to name the first child, Er, and the wife seems to name the second and third child, Onan and Shelah. Yehuda was in Kaziv when she gave birth to this child. Now where is Kaziv? It's probably Achziv, mentioned in chapter 15 of Sefer Yahushua, which is a town three miles southwest of Adullam. Today, that would probably be Tel Elbida. Yehuda took a wife for heir his firstborn. In other words, he's finding a kala for his oldest child, his oldest son, heir. And the name of that kala was Tamar. Tamar literally is a palm tree. This is actually a name that would recur in the family of David HaMelech, since he, David HaMelech, was a descendant of Tamar. Now, since it says her name was Tamar, we see that she was righteous. We mentioned that twice already with regard to Shua, the father-in-law of Yehuda, and Chira, the associate in business with Yehuda. Some say that where was Tamar from? From Aram Naharaim, the old family country where Avram Avinu came from. Yehuda's firstborn son, Er, was wicked in Hashem's eye, and Hashem made Er die. Ah, Yehuda said to Onan, marry your brother's wife, and thus fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Now that's what we call Yibum, that's the duty of the brother-in-law, that when the husband of a wife passes away, so that deceased man's brother steps in and he marries the widow, which was his sister-in-law. Some say that this practice of Yibum was actually instituted by Yehuda. So Yehuda was telling Onan, the second son, to marry the wife of Er, who is now a widow. So you, Onan, said Yehuda, will then raise children to keep your brother's name alive. Literally, you'll raise up children for your brother. Onan, however, realized that the children would not carry his name. He realized it based on what his father had told him. That the new children are actually going to be 
considered connected with Er, the deceased brother, and not to Onan, even though Onan would be the biological father. But other sources indicate that Onan's mother didn't want him to have children with Tamar. So therefore, whenever Onan was with his brother's wife, that's Tamar, he would not have children so that the children wouldn't be born and then be in his brother's name. So what he did was evil in Hashem's eyes because Hashem wanted him to have children with Tamar. So Hashem made Onan die. Yehuda said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow, Tamar, in your father's house until my son, that's Shela, son number three, until he grows up. Yehuda was really pushing her off because Yehuda was concerned that Shela too would die like his brothers. So Yehuda didn't really want the Tamar to marry Shela. And then Yehuda, who's already lost two sons, Er and Onan, who were married to Tamar successively. He didn't want to lose Shayla too. Tamar left and lived in her father's house. A long time passed and Yehuda's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. So Yehuda, who now is himself without a wife, he sought consolation. He's looking for a way to feel better. And he went to supervise his sheep shearers in Timnah. There were some workers who were cutting the wool off of the sheep for Yehuda in the town of Timnah. And so Yehuda went there to supervise, to see what's going on and be in charge. And Yehuda went together with his friend Chira from Adulam. Timnah, which is four miles northeast of Adulam, is today known as Tibnah. Tamar was told that her father-in-law was going to Timnah to shear his sheep. In other words, Tamar realized, because she was just told, that Yehuda is coming to town now. She took off her widow's garb and she covered herself with a veil. So therefore she was disguised. Nobody could tell who she was. She sat at the entrance of Twin Wells, which is a Naim, which is Twin Springs or Twin Wells, or it could mean eyes. Anyway, it means eyes, a Naim, on the road to Timnah. Now, where is this located? Some say it's the same place as Enam in chapter 15 of Yeshua. Others say this is a place with two wells with a gate between them, or it's a fork in the road by a well. That's what Rashi said. Others say that it means open eyes, and that it means that there's an open, visible place. Now, why did Tamar do this? Because Tamar saw that Shayla had grown old, and Tamar had not been given to Shayla as a wife. So it seems like Yehuda is never going to give Tamar to Shayla. So Yehuda saw Tamar, and because she had covered her face, so he assumed that she was a stranger. It, the commentaries say that it actually was the custom for women like this to cover their faces. Ancient sources describe this as being like a wreath of string covering the head and the face. So Yehuda turned aside to her on the road and not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. So he said hello to her and he says that he wanted to live with this lady. But he didn't know that it was Tamar. So Tamar said, what will you give me if you come to live with me? So Yehuda said, I'll give you a goat from the flock to pay you in other words. But Tamar said, you must give me something for security until you send it because, you know, how do I know that you're really going to give me the goat? You should leave something with me now so that I can guarantee that you're going to pay. So Yehuda asked Tamar, again, he does not know this is Tamar, his actual daughter-in-law. He says to her, what do you want for a security? So Tamar said, your seal, that means the ring that he would stamp with, and your wrap, and the staff in your hand. That's what you wanted as a security. So the wrap, in Hebrew, that's patila. It could be a cloak, and that's what Rashi seems to say, but it could also, could it be a belt, that's the Rav Shbaum's opinion, or it could be a hood, or the special shawl worn by aristocrats. Ancient sources note that in the Middle East, people usually wore a long tunic reaching to the feet with a short white cloak 
thrown around them. And besides this, people would always carry a seal and a walking stick with an elaborately carved top. So the patila would then be the white cloak, the chotam is the seal, and the mate is the walking stick. Other sources indicate that the seal and string were to bind to the sheep, and the staff was the shepherd's crook. Somebody who watches sheep, he would have a certain special staff, a stick. And according to this, the psila, which is to bind the sheep, is a string. Like petil techelet, we know about that phrase from the blue string in the tzitzit. Petil, therefore, could be a garment, cloak, or a hood, or in this interpretation, it would be a string. So Yehuda gave these three things, the chotam, the petil, and the mate. Yehuda gave them to Tamar, and he lived with her, and now she was expecting a baby. So she got up and left, and she took off her veil and put her widow's clothing back on. Yehuda sent the young goat with his friend, the person from Adilam, remember his name was Hira. And why did Yehuda send this to hopefully get it to Tamar? Because he wanted to get his security back from her. But his friend, Hira, could not find Tamar. Hira asked the local people, where is that specific lady? Now she's called a Kadesha. And in Parshish Kitetse, it says there should not be any Kadesha in the Jewish people. And that seems to indicate that the pagan custom was to use the payment that was given to these women, for instance, if it was a sheep, so it would be used as a sacrifice. Also in chapter 4 of Hosea, the word Kadesha is associated with sacrifice. Ancient sources state that among the Amorites, it was the custom that girls would have to sit seven days as being a Kadesha before they got married. Of course, the Amorites was such a low nation, so this is one of their disgusting practices. Yehuda had no interest in her as one of these Kadeshos, though. And therefore, it doesn't use the word Kadesha, but it uses a different word, which denotes a non-sacred strange lady. So Hira, who was trying to find Tamar, he was telling the people, where is she? It was a lady that she was near Anaim. Remember, that was the place called Twin Wells. She was alongside the road. And the people said, Oh, there was nobody like that over here. There was no Kadeshi. So Hira came back to Yehuda and said, I couldn't find her. I couldn't find that lady. The local people there, when I asked them, they said that there was no Kadesha over there. So Yehuda said to Hira, All right, let's let her keep the security. In other words, the Chotam, the Patil, and the Mate. Yehuda is willing to let Tamar keep them. Because Yehuda feels, and he says, We don't want to become a laughingstock. I tried to send her the goat, but you couldn't find her. So... We're going to let her keep the stuff. Hotam, the seal, the patil, the cloak, and the mate, the staff. Some three months passed by and Yehuda was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has been improper. She has become expected as a result of that behavior. So Yehuda gave a command that she should be taken out and burned. Whoa. Now, it would seem that there's no legal justification to have her burned, but Yehuda was using the discretionary power given to the courts to prevent immorality by imposing particularly harsh punishment. That is the opinion of Mizrahi. Furthermore, if, it would, if this was the prescribed penalty to be burned, how could Yehuda, later in the story, refrain from imposing it? Some say that Yehuda was punishing her for undermining the morality of the Jewish people, or as revenge. According to other sources, burning denotes that she was going to be branded. She's not going to be burned to death. She's just going to be branded as an embarrassing punishment. I think there's a famous story like that where a lady who would be 
improper, she would have a letter A marked upon her. In Nathaniel Hawthorne's book, The Scarlet Letter, that lady is supposed to wear the red A on her dress for everybody to see. I guess it's a similar idea, but here it's uh, actually burning. So when Tamar was being taken out, she sent the security, which is the Chotam, Petil, and Mate, to her father-in-law, Yehuda, with the message, I am pre I am going to give birth to baby, actually babies, by the man who is the owner of these articles. In other words, whoever owns this stuff, that is the father of these children that are inside me. So when Yehuda came to her, she said, if you would identify these objects, who is the owner of this seal, this wrap, and this staff? Yehuda immediately recognized them. Now you rec you hear you hear you immediately recognize that this is a familiar phrase. After Yehuda initiates the sale of Yosef to the Midianites, the brothers took the coat, slaughtered a goat, took the coat, slaughtered a goat, dipped the blood in the coat, and they said, "We found this. Try to identify it. Is it your coat? Is it your son's coat or not?" So Yaakov said that it is. He recognized it as Yosef's coat. So here, Yehuda is being shown the security by Tamar. Do you recognize this? And he did. And he said that she, Tamar, is more innocent than I am. Yehuda said that Tamar did this because I, I Yehuda, did not give my son Shelah to Tamar. So Yehuda no longer lived with Tamar. When the time came, I guess it was about six months after this, that she was giving birth, there were twins in her, inside her, in her womb. As she was in labor, one of them put out an arm, meaning one baby stuck his arm out. The midwife, who was helping Tamar to give birth, grasped it and tied a red thread upon it. Now the word Shani, we think it means red, and that's one opinion. Others would indicate that it maybe is closer to orange or pink. The midwife made an announcement. She said, this baby came out first, meaning his arm came out first, but that baby pulled his hand back in, and then his other brother came out, the other baby. So she said, and it's not clear whether the midwife said it or Tamar said it, but she said that you asserted yourself with such pushiness, Peretz. So Yehuda named the child Peretz. That's the baby whose body came out, even though it was the other brother whose hand had come out first. Now Peretz, the one whose body came out first, was the ancestor of David HaMelech. The other baby, which had the red thread on his hand, was born later. Yehuda named this second baby Zerach. Zerach means shining forth. Now, the story of Yosef's temptation. Yosef had been brought down to Mitzrayim, to Egypt, and Potiphar, which is one of Paro's Egyptian officers, the captain of the guard, had purchased him from the Arabs who had bought him, who had brought him there. God was with Yosef, and God made Yosef very successful. Soon, Yosef was working in his master's own house. Yosef's master realized that God was with Yosef and that God granted success to everything that Yosef did. Yosef gained favor with his master, Potiphar. And before long, Yosef was appointed as his master Potiphar's personal servant. Yosef's master Potiphar placed Yosef in charge of the whole household, giving Yosef the responsibility for everything that he Potiphar owned. And as soon as Yosef's master Potiphar had placed him in charge of his household, and possessions, God blessed the Egyptian Potiphar because of Yosef. God's blessing was in all that this Egyptian Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Potiphar left all his affairs in Yosef's hands, except for the food he himself ate. Potiphar did not concern himself with anything that Yosef did. Meanwhile, 
Yosef grew to be well-built and handsome. Now, why was it that Yosef was put in charge of everything of the affairs of Potiphar except for the food that he ate? So, some say this is because the Egyptians considered that food that was touched by foreigners to be contaminated. Others say that it refers to actually the food that Yosef ate indicating that Yosef was given a special diet, better than that of the other slaves. But according to still others, this is a euphemism for Mrs. Potiphar. And that's what we find in Rashi. In the course of time, or literally, you know, after these events, Potiphar's wife, and some say that her name was Zalicha, cast her eyes upon Yosef. And she wanted to be, have a baby from Yosef. So Yosef adamantly refused. He tried to reason with his master's wife. My mat. So Yosef said, my master doesn't even know what I do in the house. He trusted me with everything that he owns. No one in this house has more power than I have. He has not kept back anything from me, except for you, his wife. How could I do such a great wrong? It would be a sin before God. So Potiphar's wife spoke to Yosef every day, but he would not pay any attention to her. He would not even lie next to her or spend time with her. One such day, Yosef came to the house to do his work. None of the household staff was inside. Mrs. Potiphar grabbed Yosef by his cloak, and she's begging him that she wants to have a baby from him. Yosef ran away from her, leaving his cloak in her hand, and he fled outside. When Mrs. Potiphar realized that he had left his cloak in her hand and fled outside, she called her household servants. You see, she said, he brought us a Hebrew man to play games with us, or to mock us, or insult us, or to have pleasure with us. The word, it means to laugh or play. He came to assault me, but I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me scream and call for help, he ran outside and left his cloak with me. So Mrs. Potiphar kept Yosef's cloak with her until Potiphar came home. And Mrs. Potiphar told him the same story. The Hebrew slave that you brought us came to play games with me. When I screamed and called for help, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Now why did he do that? Because Yosef knows you don't play with a Gentile lady. You run away. When Potiphar heard his wife's story and her description of the incident, he became furious. Yosef's master, Potiphar, had Yosef arrested and placed him in the dungeon where the king's prisoners were kept. Yosef was to remain in that dungeon. God was with Yosef, and God showed Yosef kindness, making him find the favor with the warden of the dungeon. Soon, the warden had placed all the prisoners in the dungeon under Yosef's charge. Yosef took care of everything that had to be done. The warden did not have to look after anything that was under Yosef's care. God was with Yosef, and God granted Yosef success in everything that he did. And now, the story of the prisoner's dreams. Soon after this, and it was Achar Hadrarim Ha'ela, after these events, the Egyptian king's wine steward and baker, that's the Sarha Hamashkim and the Sarha Ophim, the wine steward and the baker, offended their master, who was the king of Egypt, that's Paro. According to the Midrash, there was a fly in the wine and a pebble in the bread. Others say that the Sarofim Saramashkim tried to assassinate the king with poison, or that they tried to <coughs> capture his daughter. Paro was incensed. He was so mad at his two courtiers, the Saraofim and the Saramashkim. Again, that's the chief steward who's in charge of the wine and giving Paro wine to drink, and the Saraofim, the chief baker who baked the bread. He was in charge of the bread. And Paro had these two arrested. They were placed in the house of the captain of the guard. That's Potiphar. In the same dungeon where Yosef was imprisoned. They were under arrest for a long period of time. And the captain assigned Yosef to look after them. One night, the two of them dreamed. The Egyptian's king 
the Egyptian king's steward, that's the Sar Hamashke, and the baker, that's the Haofim, who were imprisoned in the dungeon, each had a dream that seemed to have a special meaning. Or some say that it was a portentous dream, or a dream with its interpretation, or a dream with a personal significance, or a dream that needed an interpretation. When Yosef came to them in the morning, he saw that they were upset. He saw that they were zo'afim, they were upset. Yosef tried to find out what was wrong with Paro's courtiers, the Sarahofim and the Saramashkim. They were his fellow prisoners in his master's house. Why do you look so worried today? Yosef asked them. Madua panechem ra'im hayom. Why don't you look so positive today? So they answered, we each had a dream, and there's no one here to interpret it. So Yosef answered, interpretations are God's business. If you want to, tell me about your dreams. Now we know that Yosef is a prophet is an expert at interpreting dreams. He had the dream of the sheaves of wheat and the dream of the sun, moon, and stars, which he interpreted a long time ago. So now the chief steward, that's the Sar Hamashkim, the wine butler, he relates his dream to In my dream, the Sar Hamashkim said, there was a grapevine right there in front of me. The vine had three branches, three branches. As soon as its buds formed, its blossoms bloomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Paro's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and squeezed them into Paro's cup. Ah, uh, then I placed the cup in Paro's hand. Yosef said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Paro will lift your head. Meaning, that's an idiom. He's gonna single you out, or he's gonna give you special consideration, and he's gonna give you back your position. You will place Paro's cup in his hand once again, just as you did before, when you were his steward. But, says Yosef, when things go well for you, just remember that I was with you. Do me a favor and say something about me to Paro. Perhaps you'll be able to get me out of this place. I was originally kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and when I came here, I didn't do anything to deserve being thrown in the dungeon. That's what Yosef told the Saramashkin after he interpreted the dream about the grapes. Now the chief baker saw that Yosef was able to give a good interpretation. It seems like good news. The butler is going to get his job back in three days. So the Sarah Ophim, the baker, said to Yosef, I also saw myself in a dream. There were three baskets of fine white bread. Chori in Hebrew would probably mean white, but others interpret it as a baskets of biscuits, or baskets of twigs, according to Rashi, or white baskets, or perforated baskets, according to Rashbam. In ancient Egyptian, chara actually means woven, so that would seem to match the interpretation of the Rashbam. So there are three baskets of bread on my head, said the Sarah Ophim, the baker. In the top basket, there were all kinds of baked goods that Paro eat, but birds were eating it from the basket on my head. Yosef answered, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Paro will lift your head right off your body. <gasps> he will hang you on a gallows and the birds will eat your flesh. Ugh. The third day was Paro's birthday and he made a feast for all his servants. Among his servants, he gave special attention to the chief wine steward and the chief baker. He restored the chief steward, that's the Sarahamashkim, the wine butler, to his position and allowed him to place the cup in Paro's hands. By the way, that must be a very important job because anybody who's trying to poison the king, Paro is trusting his life in the hands, literally, of the butler who gives him his wine cup to drink. The chief baker, however, was hanged, just as Yosef had predicted. 
The chief steward did not remember Yosef. Remember Yosef asked the wine butler to remember him, but he didn't. The Tsar Hamashkim forgot all about Yosef. And this concludes Parshas Vayeshev.